We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we're here to discuss the Giants wide receiver core. It's an interesting group. Like As we go into this, Nick, it's, it's funny to me because they've invested a lot and pretty heavily in the position, and yet we're at a point where I feel like there's so much uncertainty surrounding each individual player within in, within this wide receiver group and then just overall the unit, right? Like the Giants aren't viewed right now as the best wide receiver group in the NFL or one of the top wide receiver groups in the NFL. And they've done a lot of things to try to get to that point. And so I think it's going to be interesting from that standpoint to break it down. I think it's going to be interesting to break down how this wide receiver core fits within what Brian Dable and what Mike Kafka want to do from a philosophical standpoint and from a schematic standpoint, right? Because you have a lot of guys who can win in the two-way routes in the slot. You have a lot of guys who can win by creating early separation route runner types. And I heard a really interesting thing before we get into this, Nick, from Julian Edelman that was sent to us by our boy. I'm trying to remember. My, I'm, I'm always bad at remembering. It was Missile. Okay, yes, Young Missile. Our boy Young Missile sent us this. And it was Edelman kind of breaking down how you know, the NFL is changing in a lot of ways. Teams are drafting bigger corners to match up with these big receivers on the outside. And it's somewhat easy to take those guys away. And it's a lot harder to take away the receivers. And Edelman, I don't think he mentioned himself, but was in some ways alluding to himself, who can win those two-way two way go routes in the, in the uh, slot, who can win by creating separation, those smaller type receivers. And the Giants have a big collection of those types of receivers on their roster right now. And from everything we've seen, they're trying to move in that direction from a more, you know, quick game to quick hitting style offense. And in a lot of ways, I think that also fits what Daniel Jones can do best if, you know, he's playing at his best because it takes away a lot of the guesswork. It takes away a lot of the processing, in my opinion. And obvious, that's I think that's obvious when you go to a quick hitting game. And I think to, to be completely honest, that's a good thing for Jones. I mean, if you can get a rhythm in a rhythm, then you have Jones. We've seen 
throw with ball placement at a high level when he's in rhythm. We've seen it with, you know, Pat Shermer's offense in the past uh, and a little bit in 2020 as well. And then that little small stretch in 2021. So I'm interested to talk about all of those things, Nick, before we get into diving into this wide receiver group. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, Dan. I'm doing well. Just chilling, waiting for training camp to kind of arrive so we can dive right back into the NFL season. Yeah, me too. We got a nice little break period. It's been actually super busy for me at work, though, so that's interesting. And then I have a vacation starting next week, which I'm really excited about. So I'll be off from July 4th or July 5th through July and including the July 12th. No work. I complete for the first time ever. I signed off. I deferred the newsletter duties, which I had usually what I used to do when I went on vacation. I would still do the newsletter for fantasy baseball. I'm out of that baby. So full vacation, Nick. I'm going towards your neck of the woods. Where are you going? I'm headed over to Vegas for a week. Oh, really? Hmm. You got to hit me up, man. That's like a four hour drive for me. Okay, we'll talk after the pod then. See if you can come up for a day maybe or something like that. That would actually be a lot of fun. Um, I am not guaranteed to, but potentially playing in one or maybe two World Series of Poker tournaments as well. So I'm very excited for that. Oh, my God, Dan. Oh, geez. I don't even know if these people know what they're in for, to be honest. And and, and guess what? One of them is the Plow game that you that you always uh, would reference. Oh, Plow? Uh, yeah, yeah, Plow, your favorite. Uh, I love Plow. B- big Plow guy over You're here. You're a big Plow guy. Nick is a big <laughs> Plow specialist, as they would call him in the poker world. But um, that's a little that's a little inside humor. Let's get into some outside humor. Let's talk Giants. Before we talk about this wide receiver group, I want to mention this again. At some point this offseason, this is going to happen when I get back from vacation. We still have – once I get back, it'll still be two weeks to go, two weeks and change until the Giants report for camp. Actually, just over two weeks. So we're still going to have some time. We want to do an all-time Giants draft. We want to do it with a listener. So if you're interested in joining the Big Blue Banter podcast for an episode to draft an all-time Giants team with me and Nick, it will be a snake draft. Three players. You have to draft quarterback. Quarterbacks matter. Just like you're drafting a regular team. Go ahead and reach out. We've already had a bunch of people reach out. Here's how you can do it. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And then in that rating and review, put your Twitter handle at the bottom. If you don't have Twitter, go ahead, put an email or any way we can contact you. We'll probably put what we're going to do is take all those at the end just before we decide to do this podcast. Put them in, a, in like a little hat or something. I don't know. We'll figure something out and then raffle it off and figure out uh, who, who won that. And then we'll have you on the pod. We'll figure out a time that works for you guys, a date that works for you guys. And we'll do an all-time Giants draft. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a fun content, I think, too. I know I'm going to dominate Nick, so all those good things are coming. No, JJ, I don't know about that. We'll see. Yeah, afterwards we're going to have people grade the drafts, and we'll see who the real winner of the dra- of the draft is, Nick. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be a fun little exercise. It'll be fun. All right, let's talk Giants receivers. It's time. Here we go. Where do you want to start with this group, Nick? Because you want to start thirty thousand foot view, or do you want to start kind of breaking down some of the the overview stuff? I think we should start 30,000 foot because I I like how you touched on to open the podcast, how the Giants have invested a lot into the wide receiver position, yet the wide receiver position isn't necessarily thought of as one of the more dominant positions on the roster or among the top across the rest of the teams in the NFL. Because you have, what, a second-round pick of Wandell. You have a first-round pick in Gadarius. You invested all that money into Kenny Galladay. Sterling Shepard was a second-round pick. There's just a lot of high capital invested into this position and for a variety of reasons dan it has not worked out some of them are injury related others are quarterback related a lot of it is scheme related so i think that's probably an interesting starting point for this conversation that's a great starting point like why has it not worked because you mentioned it they spent 
a massive contract with Kenny Galladay at the time. Now, in my opinion, at least, it's more reasonable, though we'll get to the why that may or may not be the case when we break down Galladay. I have some things to say there. But at the time, it was a big contract. They used a first-round pick on Tony. They've recently, you know, they had a second-round pick way earlier in the franchise on Shepard, but they've also extended him and pushed back some of that cap hit and remove, you know, maneuvered that contract around a few times. So there's a lot of money tied up there. Darius Slayton, not a huge investment there. Um, and then finally, obviously, Wandale Robinson, who, you know, early second-round pick, 44th overall draft capital. So my question to you would be this. Based on their investments, does it seem to you like there's a theme as far as what they want out of these receivers? Or do you think at the time they were just taking the best players available in their minds when it comes to how Tony and Robinson are very similar receivers with similar skill sets? I don't want to say they're exactly the same. They're not. They're really not. But similar skill sets, they offer similar things. I don't think either of them really ever projects to be a full-time outside X receiver. I don't know if you disagree with that, Nick, but it's interesting on a team like this because I think it, it, it in my way, at least in my mind, at least Nick, it signifies that they're kind of going a little outside the traditional mold, right? Of fielding a roster. They're not really looking for some one guy to play X, one guy to play Z, one guy to play in, in, in the slot there. They're, or they're in my mind, looking to kind of find guys that do different things that win in the end, like find guys that can win one-on-one NFL matchups. Absolutely. And that's just when you kind of look at it from Joe Shane and the current Giants regimes right. through their lens. If you want to go back, I mean, there's three regimes here in terms of general managers <laughs> right. of, of, of drafting with Sterling Shepard being a Jerry Reese guy. They brought Sterling Shepard in to open up things underneath because you have Odell Beckham, who's dominating the league at this point in 2016. Now you can have an underneath option in Sterling Shepard. That made a lot of sense. Then you have the Dave Gettleman era, Kadarius Tony. That was last year. That was kind of a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, not a lot of us expected that after they signed Kenny Galladay, but they wanted to surround Daniel Jones with we- weapons. Kenny Galladay, you wanted that traditional X receiver. We talked about that pretty extensively with Jason Garrett's offense. Did not work out last year, but now we're in this position with Brian Dable, with Joe Shane, with this current regime. And then they go and they draft Wondell Robinson, another pick that was a little bit off the beaten path, but I think you're on to something there, Dan. It's because the Giants aren't necessarily looking like at this in the traditional manner of this is an X, this is a Z, this is a slot. And that's what we're going to do. I think these guys wow, are going to do the Gettleman voice. The <laughs> that, version of the Gettleman voice. <laughs> I wasn't even meaning to do Gettleman. I was doing just Dan Schneier, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but basically I, it's not even my Gettleman voice. It's my voice of the, it's an old school football mind kind of voice. It's somebody who's thinking st- a little too old school right now about how to build a roster. And I don't believe that's the case right here with, with Joe Shane. I think you're onto something when it, in terms of Wondell, Kadarius, and just how all these guys are going to be used and how there's going to be mismatch attempts by the offense to put defense into an uncomfortable state. We hear a lot about how Wink Martindale wants to dictate things for the offense. Well, I think this offense wants to attempt to dictate things for the defense and create mismatches and put them into uncomfortable positions that hopefully Daniel Jones and Brian Dayball's scheme can exploit. And let me ask you something else, 30,000 foot view wise, Nick, because I was going back through some Daniel Jones film from way earlier in his career. I was looking at 2019 game against the Lions. I might put some stuff out on Twitter because it's actually one of his one of my favorite games from Jones uh, really early in his career. And one thing that I want to ask you about is this. In, it, I don't think it's really an opinion. You could look at the numbers that back it up. The film certainly backs it up. Daniel Jones is a night and day, completely different quarterback when he's facing man versus zone. He's a much better quarterback against man coverage. And that was the case in that Detroit game. I mean, they played so much man and he did some really good things. He, you know, I, I look at that game and I'm like, 
damn, man, he's throwing 50-50 balls up in really pretty damn good spots, and Slayton's making plays on them, right? Like, that we could have Galladay making a play on that. I think he gives him a better chance. Honestly, the way Rondell Robinson adjusts the ball in the air, I know he's a smaller guy, but I think he may even be a better option on those types of plays, too. I, I, I like Shepard a little bit in those as well. I think he's got a little underrated. So my thought, my, my, my question for you is this, from a 30,000-foot view, Teams have been playing a lot more zone against Daniel Jones really ever since that rookie season. They haven't really gone back because Jones has struggled against zone. How much of that is what the receivers can do from a separation point, what the receivers can do from a deep, deep uh, receiver type standpoint, like from a deep threat type standpoint, what they offer skill set wise and how defensive coordinators view them and what their approach is against these guys, you know, what their thought, you know, biased or unbiased, what their opinion is of these receivers as far as what the defenses do to try to stop him, or is it more just they're looking at the tape and they're like, I don't really care who's out there. If Jones at quarterback, we're going to play him more zone heavy because he hasn't found, you know, a, a way of finding easy solutions. Cause I want them to get, I need the giants to get back to a point where defenses are playing them a little differently. They're playing more man, because I, I do ultimately feel like if Jones is going to break out this year, it's going to have to be either. He takes this massive step against zone or teams are just playing the giants a little differently with a little more man. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I'm hoping that we see more man coverage, and I think it's a combination of all of those different things. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me. We went through the film a lot last season, and you did see man coverage in those third and short situations. I think it all just depends on the context of the play. 
Some of it has to do with how defenses are viewing Daniel Jones. And some of it has to do with the defensive philosophy. And you see a lot more zone type of principles among current defenses, or at least zone match type principles, which essentially turn into man coverage. So it's not as black and white as just zone or man coverage. But in terms of Daniel Jones's ability to defeat zone, I felt like he did a better job. I don't have any numbers to back this up, just kind of going off the eye test. After 2019, 2019, he really struggled against zone coverage. But 2020, 2021, it was a little bit better. But again, the offense just regressed in terms of its ability to create explosive plays. And that's because there was a different coordinator. There's a lot of different moving parts as to why that was the reason. And it's a little still unclear on how successful Jones can be from a consistency standpoint against zone coverage. But you're right. Going back to that Detroit game, I haven't watched that game since 2019. But I remember he hit Darius Slayton on some back shoulder throughout throw yep. for like 30 yards for a touchdown. And if I'm not mistaken, Kenny Galladay, ironically enough, had a touchdown in that game against DeAndre Baker because you brought up how Kenny Galladay fits the bill much more than maybe Darius Slayton does in terms of those contested catch situations. If I'm not mistaken, Slayton had two touchdowns in that game. I think you're on to something there. I think, I think Kenny Galladay in this offense where we're going to see hopefully more vertical type concepts. We thought we were going to get that with Jason Garrett. That never materialized for a variety of reasons as well. Offensive line, maybe lack of trust in Daniel Jones, but with Brian Dable now here, I'm hoping we get a lot more of those X routes to stretch outside the numbers towards the sideline, create one-on-one matchups, try to establish a running game to force the safety down into the box a little bit more to open up more opportunity down the field against whether that is, you know, a three deep zone, a four deep zone, a match, whatever, whatever kind of defense it is. We just need Daniel Jones to kind of rise the occasion. I think what Daniel Jones does well and what he proved to do well throughout his career so far is with that deep ball when he has the one-on-one matchup. And a lot of times that does come against man coverage when he can manipulate that single high safety against cover one specifically. And that's something else I felt like he did a better job of doing. I just think he maybe understands how to take advantage of man coverage and trust his receivers and they need to come up with the plays whenever he is facing man coverage rather than zone when everybody kind of has his eyes on the quarterback. And I feel like maybe it takes a little bit longer for him to process it, but I don't have any of the numbers in front of me to bear any of that out. Yeah, I don't think you really need any of the numbers. I think the film shows this pretty clearly and definitively. I think you mentioned another thing that Daniel Jones definitely improved on that I don't know if we talked about on those two Jones pods that I'd like to bring up and shout out Jones for. He did do a much better job last year on film. Me and you saw this you know, not week after week, but at times, not all that sporadically, pretty, you know, somewhat commonly of using his eyes to manipulate the safety when he was facing those cover one looks or those single high safety looks. I really like him against those. And just to go back to your point earlier, it's like, look, if we have all these one-on-one type receivers who can win one-on-one in different ways, because I have faith that he can find ways to, you know, use Robinson, use Tony, use Shepard once he gets healthy to win on those slot one-on-ones, right? And just those quick hitting stuff. Jones can refine the ball placement he had from his rookie year. They start to do some of the things that, you know, were more successful for him in that rookie year. And that's all good. As far as the one-on-one vert type stuff, that to me is more so if the defense is going to give him that. And that's Really, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how, Nick, we get to the point where the def- where they can get more of those opportunities. In his rookie year, there were a lot of those opportunities because no one really knew Daniel Jones, right? They still had Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know, he came back a little bit earlier. He was still playing 
he was playing way better than he did obviously last year and then the year before and year before he got injured but obviously he was way better than he did last year and maybe that was the factor as well maybe that will help how quick can Evan Neal come together and be a you know plus lineman in the run game how quick can Marco Gowinski be a plus lineman in the run game can Shane Lemieux add more in the run game probably I think at least or whoever ends up taking that left guard spot than they had last year at left guard that's that should <laughs> I think we're hoping that's a lock and so you know, if you can get them to commit more safeties, commit more defenders to the box and, you know, bite more often, I guess, on play action, things of that nature. I think that will open up the vertical one on ones that you talked about more often. But I'm just looking for ways that, you know, Jones can see more man coverage with this current receiver group. And, and it seems like based on what you said, Nick, it gives me hope because I'm optimistic. It's not really, bec- you know. What they have at receiver is fine enough for them to move forward and find ways to get the defense to give them more of these man one-on-one type situation. I know you mentioned like, look, the zone will turn to pattern match at times, but I don't think Jones has done a really excellent job of, of figuring out how to beat pattern match, especially the teams that do it well either. So that, you know, it may seem like man, but it's not, it's not exactly as it would be for Jones when he has that single high cover one look. I think he's like you said, he's done a lot of things to improve in those, you know, in those situations. Yeah. So there's certain reasons why the defense would keep more guys in the box one of it is as a quarterback spy. Some of it is when they actually come on the blitz, they're not necessarily in the in the box. Like if I think against the Falcons last year, if I'm not mistaken, I think they brought like five men on a pressure package against Jones and he hit CJ board for like a 40 yard gain. And that was in a one-on-one situation. And I want to say he had one to a, a receiver in Washington. It was Darius Slayton. I think it went for a touchdown. I don't believe they blitzed on that play against Washington, but it was a one-on-one situation where he looked the safety off and there were guys that were in the box. And a lot of those guys are in the box because they're spying Daniel Jones. Now they're watching Daniel Jones and they're kind of playing, you know, underneath the zone at the same time while keeping their eyes on Daniel Jones. So the threat of the run can also open up those one-on-one opportunities downfield. So that's another reason why I think using the athletic ability of Daniel Jones is imperative to Daniel Jones's success. It's just, there's a give and take there. When you analyze Daniel Jones, you look at the last three seasons, he was injured for a solid amount of time in each of those three seasons. Yeah, it's a great point, too. That ball he threw to Slayton was just an absolute beauty. That was perfect ball placement over the top vertical. And maybe that's a combination of, like you said, the threat of Jones, because he was an obvious threat in that game. He's been a threat in other games when they've decided to kind of use him more in that zone read game, which I, you know, I think they're going to do with Brian Dable. I don't think that's going to change at any point, even though the injury history is a little concerning. Um, You know, most of Jones's injuries have been, if I'm not mistaken, when he's been used as a runner. I don't think, I think very few have come from just him sitting in the pocket, taking a sack or anything of that nature. So maybe that changes, but I hope not. I hope they still use him as that weapon. Really, if, if he's going to be a Giants quarterback, he, that has to be a component of his game. I don't think he has enough outside of it to be, to, to, to just completely dismiss it or get rid of that. But I wonder if, like I said, the, the addition of these guys on the line and Saquon Barkley more confident, more healthy, they can get that going again with the run game. And even if it's also a combination of using like Wandale or Tony in the run game as well on some jet sweeps and things of that nature. And so those quick push passes that we saw the Chiefs do such a good job of it, just all different things to kind of get more bodies, more eyes right around the line of scrimmage at the beginning of the snap would, would be helpful for Jones, I think, because it gives him a better chance to diagnose where he needs to go with the football. I think he did. He just does such a better job, like you said, of of throwing uh, when there's more of those defined one-on-one reads and, and a little bit more space and a little uh, fewer defensive backs in his in his uh, you know eyesight. And also, if you're just creating 
plays to Wanda Robinson and Kadarius Tony, six yards here, five yards here, eight yards here, and little quick hitters around the line of scrimmage and let them go to work. Like we say, that's going to bring people closer to the line of scrimmage to also help create the explosive plays. It doesn't even necessarily have to be running the football. You can essentially establish a, a running type of threat with quick hitting passes and have your receivers just do the work if you don't want to just commit to full on running the football like, you know, 1950s types of style. It's right. just. Daniel Jones has to, and I know this isn't a Daniel Jones podcast, and we'll go on to the receivers in a little bit, but it's important. Daniel Jones has to be able to make the defense pay when they operate in one high type of situations and when they do have those one-on-one matchups down the field. You have to recognize it first, and that's a big part of it. Sometimes Daniel Jones doesn't recognize it. You have to recognize it, and then you have to make the throw to put your receiver in a position to make a play on the football to create those explosive plays. And once you keep doing that, then teams are going to move away from the line of scrimmage a little bit more and maybe have to play a little bit more too high and take away some of those explosive plays, which will allow you to kind of nickel and dime and, and you know, get six yards here, five yards there. It's just a, it's a give and take. You have to force defensive coordinators and defense to respect your ability to attack in a variety of different ways. And Daniel Jones hasn't done that consistently yet. And that's the way to maximize your receiving weapons. Yeah, you know that. And it's not a Jones podcast, but it all ties in because a lot of the discussion has been around Jones receivers haven't been good enough. Jones receivers have been injured. They've been having trouble creating separation. The routes aren't been, haven't been good for Daniel Jones. The way they've been run the routes haven't been good for Daniel Jones. And, I, and it's all just stuff I wanted to at least bring up with you and find out your perspective on Nick, obviously, and discuss it with you because it's the same group. I mean, outside of adding Wondell Robinson, it's a similar group coming in this year. And I think this is good. I think this group is good enough to win with personally. I know I think this group had a really bad 2021 season. We're going to get into that. We're going to dive next into some stats about the overall group. And then I want to go player by player with you from this receiver core corpse, if you will, but I'll call it a core. And I think that. They were really bad last year. I don't think that means they have to be really bad this year. I think a lot of these guys can have better seasons last uh, than they did last year. Really across the board, a lot of it, it will just be availability. You know, we could luck box into a more available receiver group this year. It's not that hard, right? We've talked about this all the years with Evan Ingram. Oh, he's the most injury-prone player. He's the most injury-prone player. Then he gave them a full season, like, out of nowhere. And he wasn't, wasn't injured at all despite being utilized more. So, at least, you know, as at, at, uh, from a snap count percentage. So... I still think there's a chance for a bounce back from health too, Nick. Um, let's get into some of these stats though that we dug up about this receiver core in 2021. Because quite frankly, it was bad, and the, part of the reason Jones struggled because his receivers struggled with drops and his receivers struggled with creating anything in the deep passing game. So let's start with, uh, with let's start with these stats on the receiver core. Yeah, first off, Dan, the two highest ranked receivers on the New York Giants last season. Drum roll. Daniel Jones and Andrew Thomas. Now, it's just because of the low sample size, but, you know, it's never great when you see that, according to Pro Football Focus. Yeah, I mean, that's the the early sign that you're dealing with a problem here. Early sign that you're dealing with a problem. But, yeah, Kenny Galladay, I think, is probably the the best player to start with. Now, Kenny Galladay was signed to be the deep, big-body contested catch threat in Jason Garrett's offense, an offense that in the past would showcase X type of receivers. Last year. Kenny Galladay had 75 targets, 37 catches. He had 14 deep targets. That's it. And the deep target is 20 plus yards. And he caught only one of them. And that was when I think Jake Fromm was his quarterback against Dallas in week 15. There is a problem there, Dan. There is a a big problem there. No touchdowns, had his lowest catch rate. He had the lowest yards per route run 
at a 1.23 yards per route run, which ranked 79th in the league behind Khalif Raymond and Nico Frickin Collins. And he was second lowest in reception percentage for receivers that played at least 20% of their snaps. The only receiver that was lower than him was Darius Frickin Slayton. So that is what the New York Giants were dealing with last year. Yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow, obviously. Um, how much of that do you think has to do with bad scheme, bad route combinations, and bad timing for the pass offense? I think it has to deal with all of it. I think it was a colossal, just messed up situation that starts with coaching, trickles down to the quarterback, and then trickles down to the timing issues. And then obviously the receivers are to blame as well. I think Darius Slayton more specifically maybe than even Kenny Galladay, but Kenny Galladay didn't help it either. Kenny Galladay only had one drop last season though Darius Slayton I believe had six and he wasn't really creating that much separation he ranked seventh worst in the NFL Darius Slayton that is in yards per route run he had less than one yard per route run like that is that's just bad dead last in contested catch percentage of receivers who play 20 percent of their team's snaps at 12.5 percent uh three interceptions were thrown in his direction he only had one forced missed tackle so Darius Slayton had a really bad season and he Unfortunately for him, he followed that up by having a bad season after his really breakout 2019 year. So between Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton, those two players who we'll get into a Darius Slayton conversation a little bit later, but those two players significantly underwhelmed in 2021 and helped lead to this just inept passing offense. But to circle back to your question, it's not all on them. It's definitely collective. Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out and get to the bottom of Essentially, like how much of this was, at least from the film, like from the eye test, what we've seen on film, because the stats are one thing, but I want to talk about what we see on the film. That's what we try to do here. How much of it was individually there just not winning these routes and how much of it was just a stale offense that wasn't doing many things to beat the defense schematically, at least wasn't trying that many new things, dealt with multiple different quarterbacks, dealt with bad offensive line play that wasn't really giving much time and to me, I feel like the weight is heavily on that side. I know a lot of people will listen to that and be like, Dan, you hate these excuses. You're the number one hater of excuses. I don't love excuses for in general, especially for quarterback play. But from what I saw on tape, I just think when healthy, and this will be the key when we talk about every one of them, specifically the first guy I mentioned, but when healthy, I really thought that Galladay was running his routes with the same suddenness I saw from his Detroit days. Yeah, there were some examples of him looking like he wasn't a little bit disinterested mid game or toward the end of the season. That is a whole nother issue. But when he was trying to run those routes heavy and he even had some really good routes with Fromm and with Glennon, you mentioned one um, that wasn't necessarily a great route run, but a really good adjustment to the ball in the air from Fromm. He had a nice back shoulder with Glennon at one point down the field in his first game with Glennon, I believe, or it was the Chargers game. And then I look at Shepard. I thought I saw the same Shep, man. I thought he ran those whip routes. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Kadarius Tony. there's no issues with what he did from a route running standpoint or from any standpoint. It was just the injuries there. Slayton's the one I, I'll give you. I mean, Slayton, it's hard to argue that he hasn't regressed. But even Slayton, I saw some nice routes. I saw him snap off a couple nice routes from a separation standpoint. He didn't. He. I feel like with Slayton, the biggest regression I've seen from him in his career is one, his contested catch ability, something he was much better at early in his career. And two, it's his ability to win off the line of scrimmage. That's where he showed flashes in his rookie season. The Jets game comes to mind, and there were a few others where I was like, whoa, this dude could be an actual potential wide receiver one if he improves like this. But that's been major regression. I think that he's not going to really be that guy that I thought maybe he could be then. 
But overall, Nick, I come away thinking that this is a group that will improve if the timing of the offense improves, if the quarterback's ball placement improves, and you know, if the offensive line play improves. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's uh, it's an issue that stemmed, like I said a little bit earlier, from the top, from from Jason Garrett and trickled down, and everybody looked worse because of the lackluster and mediocre offense that was installed here for two seasons with Daniel Jones as quarterback. And in terms of Slayton, it really came down to just inefficiency. He wasn't, like you said, winning off the line of scrimmage like we saw in 2019. He wasn't creating that much separation, and when his number was called, he made a couple you know, nice deep catches, and you know we can applaud him for that, but there were times you know third and five Darius Slayton wide open drops the ball you know and and things like that that really kind of gets you but I will say this about Darius Slayton and this is an underrated aspect and I believe this also can be assigned to Sterling Shepard as well they're good run blockers man like Darius Slayton is is a good run blocking wide receiver we don't really talk about that enough and Sterling Shepard is as well so I think that is important and we'll probably get into Darius Slayton conversation in a little bit but it's not certain that he's going to be on the final roster because of cap situation and and other players that will probably be going over a little bit later. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with some individual breakdowns here, Nick. I think that at least from, uh, you know, I do fantasy drafts now every day, mock drafts for the fantasy team. And I do some sleeper drafts with my friends. So those are like best balls. I'm seeing how the giants are being drafted in fantasy. Cause that kind of gives me an idea of how the public views this receiver core. And I'll tell you this, we're going to talk about Galladay first, but he's not viewed anymore as the de facto number one. Everyone drafts Kadarius Tony multiple rounds ahead of Galladay, three, four, five rounds ahead of him. There's very little buzz about Galladay going into this season, despite, you know, prior to him signing with the Giants and in his prior to his final season in Detroit, because I know he missed most of that final season with the Lions due to the hip injury. But prior to that season, he was viewed as one of the best assets in dynasty fantasy football leagues how crazy is that at the receiver position he was someone who was hard to trade for took a lot and it just seems like that buzz has completely fallen off that drum beat is no longer steady it's completely stopped come to a halt i'm trying to figure out where we're going to be at as we head into the season with galladay nick because i'm going to give you this first when it comes to kenny galladay earlier this offseason i spoke with somebody who i'm friends with i don't want to reveal his name he asked not to his sister works in the hospital where they where the Giants take all their players to do the surgeries. It's basically been the same hospital for years where the Giants take their take their players. I believe it's something Mount Sinai, but I could be wrong on that. It's in the city. It's in New York City. And she told him that based on her, you know, her expertise being a doctor, being a surgeon, Kenny Galladay's hit will never be the same. That's what she told him. And the craziest thing is he told me that the Giants knew this. He told me they he she told them that obviously the Giants were well aware of this. She said based on what what she saw, his hip will never ever be the same. They signed him anyway. It's a you know it's Dave Gettleman, it's Joe Judge. It's well, I don't even want a group judge in that. It's win now, win now, win now. We need a receiver, Dave Gettleman. But it scares me when I think about Galladay overall going into this season, Nick, because one, he's really not signed here too long term, and it was by the prior regime. But two. There were signs of the injury playing a big factor in his lack of production last year, and more importantly, in him getting re-injured. Like, that hip acted up. That hip flared up at times. It flared up for two straight years now. The Lions passed on him despite all the things he did on on film that were excellent and despite their cap health at the time. And so... Man, Nick, I don't know. I heard that and it scared me. It was a couple... It was At this point, it was like a few weeks ago when, 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 when I heard that, but... 
I'll be honest. It, it definitely scares me, and it took me a little bit. I've been very high prior to that on what Galladay will do with improved quarterback play and improved overall offense and passing game. I don't know anymore if I'm as high on him based on that. But you said that you didn't really see it affect his game last season in terms of when he was interested. And I would agree there were times where he did seem a little bit disinterested, but I didn't necessarily think he was a step slower than what we saw from the last time we witnessed him in Detroit. Yeah, I think more so what scares me is, even though, you know, when you hear it, it's never going to be the same. You think it would sap them of some of their athleticism. I don't feel like I saw that either. Though, again, there wasn't really much of a sample size, as you mentioned. Yeah. I'm more worried about this just continuing to be an issue for him his entire career. There'll be, you know, there'll be times he plays through it, but it's just, oh, it's always an issue. Yeah, it's definitely concerning. I mean, we're not doctors. We, we don't know. But I mean, if that's like a true story and everything, and that's wildly unfortunate. And in terms of just Kenny Galladay in general, you, you, you talked about how Kadarius Tony is going much sooner in fantasy drafts and, and all that. I completely get it. I mean, Kadarius Tony right now is very exciting. I mean, his movement skills, it's just, it's, it's not something you see a lot on the NFL field with some of the best athletes in the world. Whereas Kenny Galladay, since 2019, we haven't seen Kenny Galladay. 2020, that was the year where he was like, yeah, I'm done with Detroit. I'm moving on. I'm going to sign this free agent contract. going to hit my stride. It's going to be great. And then he sucked in 2021 on his new team. So this is two very, very mediocre seasons that Kenny Galladay has assembled. And we haven't seen a good Kenny Galladay since prior to that hip injury that you're talking about just before. So there is some concern there. I'm hoping that it's going to be good. I'm not, you know, jumping off the ship or anything like that. But to say that I'm not concerned would definitely be a lie, especially if all that is true, what you said. And what scares me about that is like, you know, at first it's you, you get the thought like, oh, he's done with Detroit. That was part of the narrative that was somewhat pretty much driven just by the media with very little, uh, you know, sources or anything to confirm that the, the real thing that I think was going on there is his hip was really effed up. His hip was really, really bad. And he got the surgery on it right before the Giants signed him. And, you know, what at least what this surgeon said is this is not going to be the same after they were able to, you know, successfully, quote unquote, repair his hip. But, you know, I don't know, man, it just it's interesting Then no one showed interest in him besides the Giants. Really, they bid against themselves. No one offered him anywhere close to what the Giants offered him. No one offered him the multi-year deal. So, no, I, I roll into this with a little less optimism, Nick, if I'm going to be honest. And I think of it, you know, in comparison to Kadarius Tony, and I'm like, both have the injury concerns. At least with Tony, I feel like he's a younger prospect. He signed more long-term with the Giants. And like you mentioned, some of the things that he can do on the field, on the field are unique and they're special. And I'm not just, I'm not sitting here saying Gale doesn't have some unique traits, especially as a contested catch player, his ability to win vertical on the vertical stem. Those are all things that, you know, and he does that without elite speed. He's just really long and really good at positioning his body. Um, and then really good at catching away from his frame. But I look at Tony right now as to me, by far and away, the most exciting wide receiver prospect, the giants have the highest upside wide receiver on the team. And I would say right now, he's the guy I would, I would view as the wide receiver one heading into camp. I would agree, especially if he is dialed in at the moment. I think the Giants wide receiver room just as a whole is interesting because I think there are arguments as to why you might view Kenny Galladay over Kadarius Tony. Now, I lean towards Kadarius Tony, but you're right, man. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, injury issues, Sterling Shepard, Wiley veteran, been here since 2016, the longest tenured New York Giant, injury issues. And then you have Wondell Robinson, a dude who is barely five foot eight who is a rookie coming in and he's going to be used in this, this creative role. And I don't know if 
these injuries crop up with Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, and even Kadarius Tony. Looking at the rest of this wide receiver room, if Darius Slayton doesn't make the roster, it's a uh, it's a lot of unproven commodities, a lot of players who you don't necessarily want. You don't really want them to take those snaps at wide, like a CJ board. I think he's fine. I think he, you can plug him in and he's going to be okay, but he's mainly on the roster because he's a special teamer. Yeah, without a doubt. We'll get into the depth in a little bit, like as if what our thoughts are on that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Paris Tony individually and what your thoughts are. Where are you, where are you at with him from his rookie season? Um, and, and what are your thoughts on him moving forward as a prospect? What did you see that you liked? How do you think he'll fit into this new offense? Things of that nature. Ah, Kadarius Tony, he's just wildly exciting. If he could be on the football field, be dialed in and be healthy, which, I mean, there's a world where that can all happen. I'm so excited to watch every time he catches the damn football, Dan. This dude ranked 15th in the league in missed tackles forced with only 39 receptions. So he was, every time he caught the football, he was maximizing his ability to make players miss. And we saw that several different times. We saw it against New Orleans. We saw it against Dallas. The dude ranked eighth in the league in yards after the catch per reception at about six yards rank 11th in the league tied with Tyree kill in yards per route run with 2.14 yards. And you don't really think about Kadarius Tony in that manner sometimes, but when he did have the football in his hand, he would make like three dudes miss. And we're like, Oh wow, look at this, like highlight real type of stuff, the way he could just pivot and, and contort his body in, in, in a manner that you just don't see all that often that combined with Brian Dable's offensive mind and, and a, similar skill sets and similar talents like a Wandell Robinson or just even somebody completely different, like a healthy Kenny Galladay, you can really take advantage of Kadarius Tony. You can use him in the backfield with Saquon Barkley, really stress the interior portion of the defense because you're going to need some speedy dudes there trying to mitigate and limit just the overall linebackers that are going to be on the field, you know? So I really, um, I'm really excited to see what he can do in year two. I just hope he can be healthy and it seems like he's fully dialed in now. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. From some of the reasons for me would be Kadarius Tony flashed what I consider to be elite upside in that Dallas game, right? Here's why. What we saw is something you rarely see from a rookie receiver in his rookie season. Sorry, a receiver in his rookie season. And that's the ability to take over a game. He was the entire offense that game. He went, I believe, 10 for 161, despite being kicked out of that game, being disqualified from that game. He won in a variety of ways. He flashed elite level ability on the route that he ran uh, that everybody's seen against Trayvon Diggs, the inside out route where he just des destroyed Diggs. And I mean, Diggs is a very aggressive cornerback that's going to try to jump routes and and play that style. And Tony knew that and he took it and he used it to his advantage and he totally fooled him. But also at the same time, you got to have that unique ability to stop, to slow down your momentum and to reshift your body control, uh, you know, reshift your body momentum toward the other direction seamlessly, which is what he showed he's able to do. I always knew before that Tony can be this guy who creates yards after contact, who has like Alvin Kamara level contact balance and can be used like, eh, you know, gadget type player. But that was when I said, oh my God, this guy can be an elite route runner. This guy shows off the exact skill set that's skill set that's made guys like Antonio Brown, Tyler Lockett, the list goes on and on, undersized guys be some of the most effective receivers in the NFL, despite not having the size, despite not having four, two, five speed to make up for not having the size or whatever it may be. None of those guys are really elite level 40 yard dashed guys either. And Tony is in that group as well. Not an elite 40 yard dash guy. So that game was really the one that stood out to me because one, he showed the ability to take over a game Two, he showed the ability to create separation at an elite level. 
Um, and, and a variety of routes as, uh, too, by the way. I mean, he was using a variety of ways there. I don't think I saw much from Tony in the vertical game, Nick, in his rookie season when it comes to adjusting to, you know, contested catch situations, balls, plucking balls away from his frame, or just simply winning a lot vertically. I think there were a lot of times on film I saw him run vertical routes solidly, some slot verts. It was okay. I don't think it was anything too special on the tape. I don't think there was some glare. You know, sometimes you see with these vertical, with the true vertical threats, like glaring examples on film of this guy's open. Why didn't he throw there? I mean, there's always a lot of real reasons why the quarterback didn't throw there. He didn't process it fast enough. It was tough to process it fast enough. The old line didn't get there. He needed that. That wasn't part of the progression, whatever it may be. But I didn't feel like there were too many examples of that, Nick. But I still think he can be an elite receiver without having the total vertical element. We've seen that. Um, you know, you mentioned, and, and, th- and some of those guys do add a vertical element to their game. I think coming out, Tyler Lockett wasn't the greatest vertical receiver. And I feel the same way about Antonio Brown. I think they added that to their game. That's something I think you can, you, you can do, you know, like the different ways of becoming a better for a better vertical receiver. So I think that's still in his repertoire as well. To me, he does have wide receiver one upside. If I'm looking at anyone on this roster currently, and I'm factoring Kenny Galladay's injury history and what I heard about his injury situation moving forward and his age, I would say right now that Tony has the real best chance of being a true wide receiver one, even though it will be a unique version of a wide receiver one, because it's not some sort of X receiver that commands double teams on the outside, like a Dez or whatever it may be. It's a different version of it, but it's a version that works in today's NFL. Yeah. The NFL is always fluctuating in terms of their body types and, and what works. And when you have a unique guy like Kadarius Tony, you can, you know, deviate, from what is traditional or whatever. And I'm, I remember one contested catch he had against Dallas. It was on like a slot fade oh, yeah. or towards the sideline. That was a great catch, but that's really like the only one. I think he had one against the Saints that was kind of like a deep over, but he was hit in stride by Daniel Jones. So it wasn't necessarily a like, I'm going to jump and pluck the ball out of the air. But I think it's, he, he can have success in that role, but that's not the way you're going to maximize what he can do. You want to just get the football in his hands and he can make dudes miss in a phone booth. And that's just the kind of talent and change of direction that he possesses. And I want to talk a little bit about what he said in a recent interview with uh, Giants.com's John Schmelk, uh, you know, award-winning uh, guest, John Schmelk, hopefully reoccurring guest. We're hoping to get on Schmelke again soon. Actually just talked to him a little bit about that podcast. Off, off, off the show just to get his thoughts on you know what he heard. I thought it was a really good podcast in general, but I also thought Kadarius Tony's comments really stood out to me because one, we haven't heard much from Kadarius Tony from a schematic standpoint at all since he joined the Giants. He hasn't really, you know, it was good to hear him talk ball like that because I'm not gonna lie, Nick. Before hearing that, it was hard for me to know if he really was that type of receiver. I don't, I'm not trying to be biased or anything, or you know, make assumptions on a on a person. But until I got that, and until I heard that, Nick, I didn't really know if he was that type of guy that's really that invested and interested in in talking the X's and O's of it. And what he talked about was how he really likes the change in the in in the scheme going from Garrett to Dable and Kafka because. One thing that really changed is it's not as much. And we knew this uh, just watching the date, Nick, but it's good to hear it confirmed by the actual players. It's not as rigid of a system. It's not like go here with the ball. Right. Right. Receiver needs to be here at this time. But this route, you have to be at this spot. You have to be 10 yards. Turn around. Anything like that. He said it's a lot of freedom within the routes trying to do things that work. You know, if you see something, adjust. And that's going to ask a lot of the quarterback. I'll be honest. It's going to ask more of Jones. People are like, see, this is a great thing for Jones. You say he has slow eyes. Well, that's because the system was so rigid. I don't know about that. I think it's actually the complete opposite. I think this is going to ask a lot more of Jones, and I hope he's up for the task. And, and you know, hopefully he will be. But 
it's going to be way better for these receivers, I think, to be in a system that has more freedom. We saw the upside of it. Giants fans all know what the cap is to this, right? What the ceiling is. There is no cap. When that Giants system was running with Kevin Gilbride, a pure option route-based system, and Eli was on the same page as the receiver, and there were no injuries, they were able to stay healthy, 2011 is that year. They were almost unstoppable through the air. I mean, Eli threw for nearly 5,000 yards despite having a horrific offensive line play that graded 32nd best, dead last in pass production, according to Pro Football Focus. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what they had in pass pro because they were using a ton of max protect to make up for it. And these receivers only run, you know, a lot of times only three receivers running routes. It didn't matter. They had the option route game running perfectly. And Eli was so in sync with those receivers. And Eli was processing the coverage fast. And so were the receivers. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that this year. Now, it's going to require a lot of timing. And it's going to require a lot of these receivers getting on the same page with Daniel Jones. Do you think that Nick, that, that, that's something to get excited about, or do you think that's a little bit nerve wracking because, you know, it's going to require a lot of reps and nowadays we don't have the same kind of training camp time and, you know, two a days, things of that nature that we used to have. I'm excited about it because it's not as rigid, but there's going to be mistakes. And I think we're going to have to accept that. And we saw that throughout Eli Manning's career right. when Eli Manning was throwing, you know, 20 plus interceptions in a season because Ruben Randall ran the wrong route. And then everybody's <laughs> blaming Eli for it. It's like, no, that's Ron Ruben Randall. He should recognize the coverage and run the route that, he, but Eli's not the type of guy who's going to throw the dude under the bus either. So like, just to go back, I mean, if we're going to go back like a decade, we saw that quite often. And that could realistically happen, especially since since the new CBA, a lot of these teams aren't, aren't practicing as much as they used to. So there's going to be a little bit of growing pains with that. But overall, I am excited about that because if Kadarius, Tony, Wondell Robinson and all these receivers see the same thing that Daniel Jones sees, then they can exploit that vulnerability in the coverage. It's just all about cohesiveness. They just got to get on the same page, take the mistakes yeah. as they come but accept the fact that it's going to be good in the long run. Yeah, you nailed it, Nick. And I, I, I'm excited about it too for that reason. I just feel like it's better overall when you uh, with a quarterback like Jones and this receiver group specifically with their skill sets. It's better to give them more freedom. I really do believe that, especially Jones. I mean, he could he could benefit from not having such a rigid. You know, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to break the football here. This is why you got to wait for the route to get to this point because otherwise this will happen. No, no, don't make him think about a million different things. Let him play a little freely and see if he can figure this thing out by playing a little more freely with more tempo, with more spacing, um, you know, obviously, which we're hoping to see. And I think we're, that's my favorite thing that we're going to get at this offense, man. We're going to get a lot more spacing. And I've been I've been a big proponent about spacing for a while. I think it's going to only help Barkley. I don't think it's bad for the run game. I think it's the total opposite. Time will tell. We'll find out. Uh, obviously, a big factor will be if these offensive linemen can really step up quickly in that regard in the run game. Um, and I think they will, to be completely honest. I really like what they've done there. I know a lot of people are still skeptical. We'll, we'll see what happens there, Nick. But, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Sterling Shepard, a bit of the forgotten one. Then we'll get to the Wandale, and then we'll get to some of the lesser guys. But on the step chart, but let's talk a little bit about Sterling Shepard. I feel like a lot of fans have counted him out. I got to be honest with you, Nick, just thinking back to the, the what I saw in film last year. And then I looked up some of the notes that we had from those film sessions and from our, our all 22 pods, Nick, he still was pretty much the same exact receiver. He was always, always had been when he was on the field. I still think he might be arguably their best pound for pound consistently, you know, including consistently and factoring consistency, their best route runner on the roster. He creates separation really well. The whip routes, he ran better than anyone on that roster. And that was their, basically their, their go-to bread and butter uh, completion. <laughs> That's like all they could figure out uh, in that Garrett offense. Best thing they did, those whip routes. But it's not just that. I think he creates separation on the vertical slots. I think he does a good job of creating separation 
in ways they didn't even really use him within that offense. Just thinking back to how Shermer used him on some of those deep overs. He did a really good job of earlier in his career. I don't think there's anything that he's lost from that standpoint. I think it's really just a matter of, and he's still a really tough receiver, makes all the tough catches, very rarely has concentration drops. That's something that goes completely, you know, overlooked in a lot of ways. People kind of look over that like, ah, whatever. But that's that matters, man, especially for a quarterback like Jones who needs the rhythm, needs needs the receivers to help keep him in rhythm. Uh, so I don't know. I still remain pretty excited about having Shepard on this roster this season for whenever he can return from a health standpoint. I think it's going to be sooner than people realize because he's already kind of running around Nick and doing some things uh, at OTAs. So I'll be honest. I do remain pretty excited about having him on the roster. I think he can still contribute and really, really help Jones. Remember he's been Jones's best receiver throughout Jones's career, just from a consistency standpoint and from who does Jones throw from a looking at all the advanced numbers. Jones has had his best numbers when throwing and when targeting Sterling Shepard. Yeah, Sterling Shepard's a beast, and he doesn't get the hype that he deserves in terms of his ability to create separation in and out of routes, whether that's against man coverage, whether that's finding the voids in zone coverage and knowing when to sit or when to advance. He does an excellent job doing that. I'm also excited that he is still here to be a New York Giant. I just hope that he can come back. That's an Achilles injury. That's a very, very serious injury. Shepard isn't the youngest guy right now, so I believe he's what going to be 29 during once the season starts, if I'm not mistaken. So I love Sterling Shepard. I'm not looking at him as, as a pivotal part of this receiving core, but whatever he can offer, I will take. And I'm glad that he's in that room to help teach these young guys. Yeah, me too. All right. What about Wando? I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about him in past podcasts, but what are your, let's say this, what are your expectations for him in his rookie season? My expectations for Wando Robinson, I hope, like I've said, that they have a a plan for him, which is something that I'd imagine that they had spending a top 50 pick on him expectations wise, like I'm not going to put numbers out there, but I expect him to be out there on pivotal third downs. I expect him to be used as a mismatch player underneath. And I expect him to, to see him down the field to, to stretch the middle of the field in, in the slot, reduced type sets, have him run and split safety looks two high safety looks, have him occupy that single high safety to open up things on the outside towards the sidelines. I think he's going to not be slowly ingratiated into the offense, but I think you might see him in the beginning of the year, he'll he probably will play, you know, a couple handfuls of snaps, maybe like 20 snaps. And then by the end of the season, if he progresses and the trajectory continues to ascend on his skill set, then I think he'll earn, you know, closer to, you know, 35, 40 snaps and be used creatively, be used in the backfield, be used in a variety of different ways, coexist with Kadarius Tony to just have two players who are very, very agile and, and players who can make a lot of players Make, make a lot of defenders miss in space and, and simplify things for Daniel Jones. So I expect him to have a solid role in year one. Yeah, me too, Nick. I, I, I'm interested to see how these snaps ultimately get divvied up. I don't think the Giants are going to be some kind of crazy team running like the craziest percentage of 10 personnel ever. And just, just to give a those who don't know, 10 personnel is like four receivers and one tight end on the field. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Or no, four receivers and no tight ends and a running back. So I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to go with crazy amounts of empty sets, anything like that. But I do think it's going to be interesting to track like how quick he can get up to speed within the offense because we did mention earlier, Nick, and I think it's 
true and should continue to get mentioned throughout the time we do this podcast until the first game of the season. Timing is going to be key. If they're going to allow these receivers more freedom in their route, they're going to allow Jones more freedom and less rigidness in his reads. Well, then timing is going to, and rapport is going to be so important. And Jones has a little bit of rapport already built with a lot of these receivers, except for Robinson. Robinson's the only one who's really fully coming in from scratch. And so I am curious to see what kind of impact he'll make his rookie year because the snaps on paper at least don't stand out to me. I don't really see like if you told me, Nick, at the end of the season, he has basically the role Isaiah McKenzie had last year with the Bills, but a little bit more like not too much, but a little bit more and, and makes more plays, I would say. That I could totally see that being the case. I don't think a lot of fans are viewing it in that perspective right now because he was drafted so high and he had such an exciting OTAs period, you know, from at least what the Giants media put out there. But I think that's definitely in the realm of possibilities. I think a lot of it is also contingent just on the health of the three main wide receivers that we went over because they haven't proven to be overly healthy. But Dan, I want to talk before we get into those depth guys. And I know we already talked a little bit about Darius Slayton, but I think we should address this question about Darius Slayton. Do you think he makes the final roster because if the giants do release him they save a little bit on the cap they believe it's like 2.5 million and he doesn't add any value to special teams which is pretty vital and to be a fourth receiver who adds no value to special teams on the roster and you can even argue fifth receiver he really has to have a really good camp to to earn a role on the team which i'm all about but i do believe there's a conversation there it's a good conversation to have. I think a lot of fans are having this conversation, at least the diehards that listen to our types of podcasts. Uh, for me, it really does depend a lot on Shepard availability and how fast Shepard does return. If they feel Shepard can give them something early in the season, and there doesn't have to, you know, they don't have to place him on the pup list. He's going to be able to, to, to really step right back into where he was. I think that gives them more of an opportunity to move on from a player like Slayton. I think Shepard's probably not going to, give them that level of confidence that early on. And so I would guess that he does make the final roster Slayton. I'm, I'm, I'm all oh, honestly holding out. Hope he does, to be honest. I still believe Slayton can offer something to you as you know, like, like I look at somebody like Slayton versus David Sills, for example, right. Who's also competing for a roster spot. I just never want David Sills on the field over Darius Slayton. David Sills doesn't, I don't see any way at all that David Sills wins over Slayton, even contested catch type stuff. I think Slayton has better body control. I think he's more athletic, does a better job of adjusting. I've seen Slayton adjust to some deep balls that were thrown to the opposite shoulder and he had to flip his hips around and make those catches. I haven't seen Sills do any of that. I haven't seen Sills win and in any way at the NFL level. He's won in preseason against preseason cornerbacks and preseason defenses that don't do anything exotic or anything at all from a schematic standpoint. But I don't see Sills separating from a create, you know, creating consistent separation at the NFL level. I look at guys like the only person I would consider really in this group to be a better option if the injuries strike to those first guys as a receiver might be Colin Johnson because I think he offers at least offers something different. And he has the body type. And I think Colin Johnson's a little bit underrated in general as a receiver. But I look at the rest of these guys, man, CJ Board, and this is the top of the list, CJ Board, Richie James. I just don't think, regardless of what they offer on special teams, we have we should have enough special teams guys by this point from living in the Dave Gettleman era. Like we still have Cam Brown, we still have like Gary Brightwell might make this roster, all these like special teams first guys. So I feel like we could probably take a little break from just uh, you know assigning too much to the to the back end of the receiver group because i would like to have some talent after those big you know those big four receivers that we mentioned yeah i think you're on to something there but at the same time i do believe there's validity to the argument that 
there the difference between Darius Slayton and CJ Board isn't overly vast when you consider the fact that CJ Board is going to be one of the better special teamers in the league, and Darius Slayton offers absolutely nothing in that area. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, it's a it's a valid argument. I understand it as well too. They feel like it's going to depend a lot, right, on what Slayton does in camp. You you mentioned yeah. that, but he's going to have a leg up. In my mind, he's going to have a leg up because he has. And we mentioned this earlier with Shepard. He's the second best rapport with Jones on this entire roster. And that, I think, will give him a leg up. And then you also, if, if he does make the roster, which I'm hoping ultimately he does, I think I think you're you're right. I just think it's also going to be at the expense, him making the roster, if it, if it does come down to special teams, it's going to be at the expense of a position on another roster. If the Giants end up carrying, say, six receivers with Darius Slayton, that only leaves one spot for the CJ Board, Richie James, Keelan Doss, who they just brought in during, I believe it was minicamp, might have been OTAs, right. and they seem to like him. Colin Johnson, Alex Bachman, Austin Prohl, Robert Foster, who – played in Alabama with Brian Dable and Travis Toivinen. So there'll probably only be one spot open for those players, those back-end guys. Some of these guys I don't have too much on. Austin Prohl and Toivinen, I don't really have too much on. The other guys have been around the Giants for a little bit or were dominant in college like Keelan Doss back at UC Davis. So if Darius Slayton makes the roster, where do you lean in terms of these other players? And what? why would you go in that direction? The guys I like the most of that group are Colin Johnson, because I've seen it and I like what I've seen on tape in the actual NFL field with the Giants. Robert Foster, liked him coming out of college. think he offers that vertical element that they need and really don't have at all on this roster outside of Galladay and Slayton, personally. And then Keelan Doss is a player I also just liked a lot coming out of college. Liked, I believe he was at the Senior Bowl where he really looked good. Uh, I think he can be, you know, a little bit of a more special type of talent from a receiving standpoint. I, I hesitate to use the word special, but versus like the David Sills type. So I just don't think do a good job of creating separation, really don't offer anything uh, that stands out unique wise. Yeah. And Keelan Doss is also six foot two, 211 pounds. So he has that good baseline of, of just size and frame. He was undrafted back in 2019 and he played for, the Raiders that season had 15 targets, 11 catches for 133 yards. And we haven't really heard much from Keelan Doss since. I think the CJ board, Richie James, I, Richie James reminds me of, and I don't like to generalize and I'm kind of going to do it right here, but he, he falls into the same category, at least of the Sterling Shepherds, Kadarius, Tony and Wanda right. Robinson, not the same type of skill set, but a similar body type, a slot type of receiver who can do a good job winning those two way goes. Giants seem to have a solid amount of them right now. CJ board, that would be more of a special teams type of ad. I think you can get by playing him, you know, a handful of snaps during a game as a receiver has made some plays for the New York Giants. Specifically, there was a long catch he made against Atlanta last year in week three. That really comes to mind. Nice contested catch along the sideline. Great concentration. Got both feet in bounds. But at the end of the day, is that enough to kind of beat out the Richie Jameses or the Keelan Dawsons or, to your point, Colin Johnson? And We've talked about this on the podcast in the past, Dan. Kenny Galladay goes down. Colin Johnson is a, a big X type of receiver that contested catch type of receiver big hands can climb that proverbial ladder and make that catch along the sideline and we saw a little bit more flexibility and wiggle than at least i expected last right. season when he was out there so i think there's arguments for him and i think this is another one of those really interesting camp battles i mean you can even consider two spots if you want to group darius slayton into this conversation as well i think that's going to be one of the more interesting battles heading into training camp 
Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. And I think we both saw the same thing when it comes to Colin Johnson. A little more wiggle than you'd expect. A little better body control than you expect. A little better and smoother of an athlete than you expect for someone with that frame. I, I am intrigued by Colin Johnson. I think he has a little, and and it's also let's be let's be um, transparent with this. Nick, this is a player we liked a lot as a sleeper in the draft when he came out too. So I want to make that clear. Obviously, I, at least for me, a lot of these evals are coming from what I thought of these guys coming into the draft. Yeah, exactly. And I remember David Sills, he was very productive with Will Greer, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Going back to their days yeah. at, at West Virginia. But David Sills, to me, is a, is a practice squad guy. I know David Sills has an army of of fans <laughs> backing him up. But this oh, is a... This sounds like neither the Big Blue Banter podcast hosts, though. Well, yeah, his army's just, big enough. He doesn't need us. Yeah, now he doesn't need us, and it's not a shot on him. It's just the Giants have a lot of interesting back-end guys here behind the four that they have. That's without Darius Slayton in the conversation. So you're talking about you know a pretty strong cluster of players that David Sills has to beat out in order to earn a roster spot. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, anything else on this back-end group or, or, or the wide receiver group overall? I feel like we really did touch on every aspect of this receiver unit, but if you have – I did call him a unit there just so I can – kind of a you know filter myself and make sure i don't say corpse on this podcast because i've been really good to not say it uh and i think at this point i've kind of fixed that area you know there's a lot i need to fix about my life nick and that that's one of the things that was really at the top of my list at least for me so i'm glad i didn't do it on this podcast but look anything else that we didn't touch on that's important to hit I mean, honestly, last season, the Giants played like they were a corpse at some points of the year, which was really unfortunate. But I would say one thing, and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this because it talks about somebody I know you're really interested in, and that's John Ross. Removing John Ross from the wide receiver room, who was a pure deep threat, Giants don't really have that right now. I mean, unless you consider Robert Foster that type of player. I mean, Darius Slayton has a lot of deep ability, but John Ross, that was his game. And we do believe that he had a pretty solid impact, even though it didn't really bear out in the stats last year. But now without that threat on the field, who is going to replace? And that may be one extra reason why Slayton has a chance, a better chance of making the roster, you know, than we might, than we might. I mean, Robert Foster offers that as well. Both those guys to me seem more like, good nuance route runners in the vertical you know in the vertical game rather than having that like unique level speed that ross had i won't really ever understand why teams are so down why the giants are so down on ross like to me i'd put ross number five on this depth chart right now (laughs) look he's the only one who had any kind of impact after the after the big four on the team last year he made a huge impact on that saints game not only did he catch the bomb touchdown having his present and then the huge catch in overtime on the bat on the stop route where he ran an incredible route where literally the corner was just so scared of what he was going to do in the vertical game that he gave him that he was able to just kind of stop his momentum and have so much space for that throw and daniel jones made a really really good anticipatory throw on that one to hit ross but there were other games other examples where ross made plays and generally having on the field makes those safeties play a little different. So I, I don't get it with him, but I guess that, you know, his availability is an issue, just doesn't have the track record of it. But yeah, I don't think they really have that on this roster right now, if I'm going to be completely honest. It's something I talked about a lot in the pre-draft season. It's why I was interested in a player like Christian Watson at the top of round two. It's why I was interested in other players like that who can give them that every snap guy who's on the field and that knife in the secondary, the guy who forces those safeties to play you differently forces them to create separation and space in the middle of the field for other guys to eat. I don't really think they have that on the roster right now. Yeah, neither do I. So it's going to be interesting to see how that manifests itself 
throughout training camp and then into preseason. And I think it also just goes to the fact that John Ross doesn't do much on special teams and he's also very injury prone. Yep. All important things as well. You got to have availability. You got to offer something on special teams if you're not one of the starters. So I totally get it. All right. That's all we have for today on the wide receiver group. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please, if you do want to join us for that show and draft an all-time Giants team with us, let us know. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. Leave your handle in there. Get Get in contact with us on Twitter or anywhere else you can find us. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.